You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Tuesday, March 7th. Coming up today... Thousands more job cuts are on the way at Meta. JetBlue's proposed takeover of Spirit Airlines hits a legal roadblock. A push to ban TikTok could be introduced in the Senate today. And Wall Street awaits key testimony from Fed Chair Jay Powell. I'm Amy Morris. New York City officials want you to take off your mask before you enter a business. And Governor Murphy's budget promises increases for schools, but includes major budget cuts. I'm John Stanshower in sports. The Giants today need to make a franchise tag decision. The Knicks tonight go for a 10th straight win. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin with a Bloomberg News exclusive this morning. Thousands of job cuts on top of earlier layoffs are on the way to Meta Platforms, and we get the latest live with Bloomberg's Steve Rappaport. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Nathan and Karen. Meta employees who survived the last round of layoffs may not be in the clear after all. Sources tell Bloomberg thousands of additional jobs are on the chopping block, with the axe coming down as soon as this week. The social networking giant in November let 11,000 workers go in the company's first major layoff. Meta is reportedly asking directors and VPs to make lists of workers that are expendable amid a slowdown in ad revenue. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport. Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Steve, thanks. Well, there's also news on the M&A front. Bloomberg News has learned JetBlue's proposed takeover of Spirit Airlines has hit some turbulence. We get the latest live with Bloomberg's John Tucker. John. And Karen, sources say the Justice Department expected to file an antitrust lawsuit alleging the elimination of Spirit would increase ticket prices and decrease options for the flying public. At the same time, the Department of Transportation is expected to try and block the transfer of Spirit's airline operating certificate. This move to block the proposed $3.8 billion deal may happen as early as today. 
The Biden administration has been taking a more aggressive approach to mergers and acquisitions with a record number of antitrust lawsuits. Live in New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thank you, John. Turning to geopolitics, tensions between the U.S. and China remain front and center. China's new foreign minister warns the U.S. approach to Beijing is a reckless gamble. Chen Gong, speaking through an interpreter, says Washington is trying to contain and suppress China. The U.S. claims that it seeks to outcompete China but does not seek conflict. Yet, in reality, its so-called competition aims to contain and suppress China in all respects and get the two countries locked in a zero-sum game. The new foreign minister also criticized the use of sanctions tied to Russia's war in Ukraine. Meantime, Nathan, the push to ban Chinese-owned TikTok is gaining steam on Capitol Hill. Senate Intelligence Chair Mark Warner is set to unveil a bill this afternoon that would let the U.S. prohibit foreign technologies like TikTok. Democrat Jake Auchincloss sits on the House Select Committee on Strategic Competition with China. We want to create shared conviction around a discrete set of policy recommendations that 70 percent of Congress can get behind. And I use that number because if you get, you know, two-thirds of Congress behind something, it's going to transcend any change in administration. That's how you chart long-term strategy. Democratic Congressman Jake Auchincloss spoke with our Washington correspondent Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the show at its new time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that's not the only issue cropping up on U.S.-China relations this morning, Karen. The tensions are sparking a change of plans for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's meeting with the president of Taiwan. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. McCarthy had planned to travel with a U.S. delegation to Taipei to meet with President Tsai Ing-wen, but the Financial Times says she convinced McCarthy to meet in the U.S. instead, rather than potentially inflaming and provoking another crisis with China. Tsai's government reportedly shared intelligence with McCarthy about threats posed by Beijing, and the report says McCarthy said that the ask seemed reasonable. They'll meet in California as Tsai visits the state as well as New York. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Day. Break. All right, and thanks. Well, turning to the markets and the economy now, Wall Street's focus today turns to Washington for two days of congressional testimony by Jay Powell. First up for the Fed chair, the Senate Banking Committee, and we get a preview from Bloomberg Economics correspondent Michael McKee. Timing is everything, and the Fed chair doesn't seem to have it. Officials have been saying they are data dependent, yet three of the biggest data releases that will influence the Fed's decisions don't come until after he testifies Tuesday and Wednesday. Powell is likely to point out the labor market remains very tight, a judgment they hang on the JOLTS report out Wednesday. Fed officials have forecast job growth will slow and unemployment rise as rates go up, but the jobs numbers aren't out until Friday. Of course, their focus is on inflation, but the latest data on consumer prices don't come out until next week. Given that, Powell is likely to stick to the Fed's working script. Rates still need to go higher and stay up longer. But he won't be able to tell Congress how high or how long. Mike McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Mike, thanks. The boss of J.P. Morgan Chase says the Fed still has work to do to control inflation. That's one of several takeaways from Jamie Dimon. We spoke exclusively with the J.P. Morgan CEO yesterday. I think a, a, a mild recession is possible, a harder recession is possible. I think there's a good chance that inflation will come down, but not enough by the fourth quarter. The Fed may, have, may actually have to do more. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon says the war in Ukraine and relations with China are among the top concerns facing the global economy. Stay tuned for more of our exclusive interview coming up shortly on Bloomberg Daybreak. 
Well, Nathan, we're also hearing from another banking boss this morning. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan says Wall Street has, quote, some work to do before using popular technologies such as chat GPT. Moynihan's comments to the AFR Business Summit in Sydney, Australia, were the first he's made publicly on the use of artificial intelligence. He recently told employees they're prohibited from using such AI technology for business. And straight ahead, your local headlines, and this is Bloomberg. It's 33 degrees in New York. Cloudy this morning. Any light snow will end. It'll be sunny, breezy today with a high near 45. Partly cloudy and breezy tonight on our way back to near 30. Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Nathan. And you mentioned the snow. It's going to be a slushy commute into the city this morning after that light snow overnight. We get those details from Bloomberg meteorologist Rob Carolyn. Amy, the light snow that fell across the tri-state area overnight's in the process of ending. Most areas have picked up under an inch, but with temperatures at or below freezing, it's been able to put a coating on the roadways. You'll want to take it slow. With sunshine forecast to develop, it means the ride home should be much better than the ride was in this morning. Amy? All right. Thank you, Rob. And New York City officials doubling down now on calls for customers to remove their masks before entering a business. New York City Mayor Eric Adams called on shop owners to require customers to take off those face masks when they enter their stores to help cut down on retail Retail crime that surged since the pandemic. NYPD Chief Jeffrey Madry says New Yorkers have an obligation to ensure store clerks feel safe, adding that once someone does show their face, they can put their mask back on if they want to. Governor Phil Murphy says his new budget features a billion-dollar increase in aid to schools, but some district officials across New Jersey face major cuts to their budgets. Tom's River Regional School Superintendent Michael Sittis says his district faces up to $14.4 million dollar funding cut far beyond the 2.8 million dollar cut he had expected he calls the expected budget cut a fiscal apocalypse dozens of other districts expect to lose up to 25 percent of their state aid in a new budget U.S. officials are searching for four Americans caught in a shootout and kidnapped in Mexico. State Department spokesperson Ned Price. We're standing ready to provide all appropriate uh, consular assistance. We do also remind Americans about the existing travel guidance when it comes to this uh, particular part of Mexico. The travel advisory for uh, Tamaulipas State remains at level four. Do not travel. State Department spokesman Ned Price says the FBI is working with other federal partners and Mexican law enforcement agencies to investigate. At least seven witnesses have met with prosecutors in what now appears to be a fast-moving investigation into a 2016 hush money payment to a porn star. New York Times reports former Trump aide Hope Hicks met with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office yesterday. It is not clear if the prosecutor will seek to indict the former president. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Amy. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update, brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Good morning, John Stanshower. Good morning, Nathan. Today's a big day in the Giants offseason. There's a deadline of 4 o'clock for teams to decide who to use a franchise tag on. That would keep a player from becoming a free agent. The two biggest names on the team, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, both potential free agents. If they tag Jones, he'd make $32 million next season. Barkley may very well then 
move on. If they can sign Jones to a long-term deal, word was Jones's first offer was for $45 million a year, then they may well tag Barkley. The Jets still need a quarterback because Derek Carr, who met with the Jets, decided instead to sign with New Orleans. Four years, $150 million. Another potential QB might have been Geno Smith, the former Jet, who flourished last season in Seattle. He's staying with the Seahawks. And Aaron Rodgers has still not made his decision on whether he wants to keep playing, and if so, in Green Bay or perhaps elsewhere. Knicks and Hornets tonight at the Garden. Knicks going for a 10th win in a row. It's their longest win streak in a decade. The Celtics, the night after that double overtime loss to the Knicks when they blew a 14-point second-half lead, blew another 14-point second-half lead, lost again in overtime in Cleveland. The Cavs are a game and a half ahead of the Knicks fourth place in the East. College Hoops, Hofstra had a great season, winning 24 games, but a likely season-ending loss in overtime, semifinals of the Colonial Tournament. In Tampa, three-run homer for Aaron Judge. Yankees beat the Pirates 9-2. New Met pitcher Jose Quintana has a ribcage injury. He has pulled out of the upcoming World Baseball Classic. He was to pitch for his native Columbia. It's not known if Quintana will be okay by opening day. John Stashel, Bloomberg Sports. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. Geopolitical concerns, they are front of mind for Jamie Dimon. The J.P. Morgan Chase CEO spoke with Bloomberg's Ed Hammond in an exclusive interview at the J.P. Morgan Global High Yield and Leveraged Finance Conference in Miami. Dimon discussed the possibility of operating in Russia again, the role the business plays in politics, and how Jamie Dimon sees the consumer faring in an uncertain year ahead. 
What are you worried about? Uh, the, the thing I worry the most about if you go is Ukraine. It's oil, gas, so the leadership of the world and you know our relationship with China. I mean that that is much more serious than the economic vibrations we all have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. On the Ukraine question that we talked about a lot, obviously, a year ago, very shortly after the war had started, do you think now, a year in, that the West has become sort of somewhat inured to the idea of a conflict of this scale on its borders? And if so, does that worry you? Yeah, no, it, it looks a little bit like people are inured to it, but I think that's a little bit of a mistake. You know, I read a report the other day that when a war goes to one year, it lasts normally lasts 10. But this is a major land war in Europe, in a free and democratic nation, you know, with hundreds of thousands of cattle are ready on both sides. And so I think we this we don't know how this is going to end. We don't know what direction it's going to take. And, and it's affecting global relationships. So Ukraine, Russia, then it's oil, gas, food, uh, how it's hurting poor countries, uh, and it's roiling trade relations between America, China, and the rest of the world. So this is a probably the most serious geopolitical thing we've had to deal with since World War II. Do you foresee a future where J.P. Morgan could potentially re-enter the Russian market as a business? I mean, I'm very premature to say. You know, I think if there was a one day, maybe, but it's very possible that won't happen in our lifetime. And you mentioned U.S.-China relations, obviously not at their best right now, uh, particularly post the balloons. Um, I, I wonder what role you see business playing in trying to sort of moderate those relations and, and try and keep them as, as good as possible. You know, it's really the government. The government has to set the rules and figure out what they want to do. And I think it's a fair complaint about government and business that we probably should have started resetting this 10 years ago. And we didn't. I don't like a choir with spilled milk and all that. But going forward, the government, and I think they're doing a good job thinking through what is national security. So think of semiconductors, rare earths, penicillin, you know, certain drugs. What's, what is unfair trade? And then, you know, at one point, sit down and have a very serious conversation with Chinese government. You know, remember, Secretary Blinken was on his way over there to do that, and then the balloon. But at one point, they'll do that, and business is a peripheral player in that. So I think I think business will help give advice on how to do things. If you're going to have an outbound investment controls, how do you set the way that works? That's not just a huge bureaucracy. And so, so far, all the conversations have been quite rational about it. I mean, J.P. Morgan obviously has a significant business in China. I'm sure that the government there would listen to you. What are the conversations you have just about sort of trying to, as I say, trying to maintain as cordial relations as possible between the two nations? I mean, you know, for us, we're there. And and like I said, you know, we're, we're, we're basically taking a back seat to an American government in this one. Uh, and we're going to, we obviously have to do whatever the American government asks us to do. And we're trying to engage in a conversation with our own government and with the Chinese government and what those things should be. You know, I'm hoping cooler heads prevail here. But th- that, this is why Ukraine is so important. This can cause it to go in a bad direction rather quickly. So, uh, uh, you know, everyone's got to be just a little cautious. We talk about our own government. Let's talk about the Fed for a moment. Obviously, uh, I, I just want to talk about the Fed for a moment. I have half a dozen prosaic questions I could ask you about the Fed. I think I know the answer to many of them, so I'll try and avoid. One fairly easy one is, you know, when do we get to say we're landing, be that a hard landing or a soft landing? Sort of when does that begin to occur? You know, forecasting the futures, as you know, are very complicated. It, the consumer still has a lot more money in their checking accounts than before COVID. They're spending 10% more than last year, 40% more than pre-COVID, and it looks like they'll have excess money to spend roughly until the end of the year. 
And at that point, you, know, you could say, is it a little bit of a cliff? Is it a soft landing? And also, QT has now started to bite. That also is going to happen at one point, probably later this year. And that, you know, that's when you're going to know what these things do. But you, we can still have a soft landing. And the other thing about all this economic forecasting is Russia, Ukraine. I mean, that, that can change it dramatically and very, very quickly. Do you think absent Russia, Ukraine, we will have a soft landing? I think it's still possible, but I would I look at possibilities. It's still possible. Possible. I think a, a, a mild recession is possible. A harder recession is possible. You know, I think there's a good chance that inflation will come down, but not enough by the fourth quarter. The Fed may, have, may actually have to do more. And I think a lot of things that have happened in the world, think of the bigger trends, are inflationary. You know, infrastructure spending, the IRA Act, uh, lessening trade with you know certain parts of the world, re, re, bringing trade back into America. Those, those things are all. Uh, the, the green transition is going to take a lot of capital. So all those things kind of have inflation attributes that are very different than we've been through the last 20 years. I'm going to come back to the consumer point in a second. But last year, you talked about in your letter this sort of confluence of three major factors, QT, the America rebounding from a sort of post-COVID economy fairly strongly, and then obviously the war as well. You, you talked about them sort of leading us into an unprecedented period. How do we get out of that period? You know, it's, it's diplomacy. I mean, that, that's why this is not, you know, we always talk about uncertainty in the economy and the uncertainty. I call it normal uncertainty. The weather's, you know, we know what the weather's like. That's why these things are different. QT, uh, coming out of COVID, uh, uh, the war in Ukraine. I think it's been pushed out a little bit further. I would have thought we'd be dealing with this a little bit sooner, but it does look like some of that stuff is coming to fruition at the end of this year. Russia, Ukraine, we just simply don't know. I, I think it's wrong to even predict because if you look at the history of wars, they, they've been pretty much unpredictable in how they uh, uh, play out and which ones affect the global economy and how they do. If you look at a lot of wars, they didn't affect the global economy, but they were literally in very small parts of the economy. This is not in a small part of the economy. And, the, and this is a European nation. Uh, it's Russia and it's oil and, you know, major oil and gas supply and food supply around the world. So this is a whole different uh, attribute to it. But then why does the consumer, particularly here in the U.S., remain, as you say, fairly bullish? time their home price has been going up, jobs are plentiful, wages are going up to the lower end, which I think is a good thing. They've got a lot of money in their checking account. You know, uh, stocks generally been, had gone up for 10 or 15 years. The consumer is, if you look at it today, in great shape. But I'm telling you, that's going to end at one point. It, but even if we go into recession, then the consumer is entering the recession in better shape, far better shape than they did in 08. You know, in 08, when we went into that recession, not only did unemployment go through the roof, but their home prices were dropping dramatically, jobs were disappearing, uh, the stock market was way down. So this one is a little bit better than that. One of the, the sort of narratives that is fairly popular at the moment is that the consumer doesn't like uncertainty. I would even go as far as saying it's, it's, it's sort of one of these false axioms that, you know, that people adopt now. That, you know, when there's times are uncertain, the consumer freaks out, they stop spending, they stop doing the things that the consumer needs to do to keep the economy going. That doesn't seem to be the case here. The consumer's done pretty well through uncertainty, through COVID, through war, through everything else. So I wonder, what, when we get to this point of, you know, the wallet being hit and the 
consumers saying we're going to stop spending? Is it just reality catching up with them? Is this some kind of inflection point, or is it just that they run out of money? I, I, everything is distorted by COVID, including quote uncertainty. So you have, you're absolutely correct. You know, confidence, consumer confidence is dropping, but I think their pocketbook trumps confidence. When they have a lot of money, they tend to spend it. And, they, and you see here, like, look at the travel in Miami and the building and the optimism around. If you ask them how they're doing, it's very good. And then they tell you they're, they're not confident about the economy. So jobs are plentiful. Wages are going up. I mean, what? that's what's really affecting them. You know, and they wake up in the morning, they feel pretty good about that. And then they read the paper, and, of course, you can get a little depressed. And your view is that at the end of this year or towards the end of this year, that sort of begins to tail off? It looks like the excess cash will be disappearing, and then, uh, but the jobs are still there. So you could, that's why I said you could have a soft landing. So. Now, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, obviously, uh, his specter continues to haunt the global elite, and most recently, J.P. Morgan uh, have been sort of caught up in it. How has that made you feel? I can't talk about litigation, but you should you should know that J.P. Moore, we got top experts, including some of the best people that come out of the DOJ, et cetera, who review and make judgment decisions like this. And we're, we've, they generally do a very good job. But how has it made you feel as the CEO of J.P. Morgan, as a figurehead for the bank? It's unfortunate, but it's life. Um, and look, we're here in Florida. We have to talk about politics because we always talk about politics. Obviously, we're in DeSantis' backyard. What do you make of his, uh, if you like, hands-on approach to business? And is that something you would like to see more of uh, in even higher office? Who's hands-on approach? DeSantis. Yeah. I, look, I, you know, I, I, I learn and listen and read and stuff like that. You know, it's got, it has got a little complicated between business and government and stuff like that. But, but you know, anyone here knows that I'm a full-throated, red-blooded, American patriot supporter of free enterprise. So, you know, I hear the complaints on both sides. But, you know, you listen and learn from that. I don't worry that much about it. And we've been, we've loved Florida. We're growing in Florida left and right. You know, small businesses, large companies. We got, I've got how many total employees we have here. I'm on my way to Tampa. We've got, you know, major operations there. Orlando, major operations. Uh, we're opening branches. And so uh, the mayor just joined us at a small business event we did here. We're very pro, pro Florida. And this is long dated Florida. This isn't part of the sort of recent influx of capital into Florida or financial. Wild into Florida, perhaps. Well, I think they've been great. I mean, you know, if you were running the state, you know, you should be thinking, how can I make this state off good, well off my people? So, Florida likes business. They want you to come. You know, you come to Florida, you see the optimism. Texas is the same way. You know, if, if I was some other states, I'd be thinking about why do people like going to these states? It's their taxes. It's their pro-business. They want better life for the people. It's not necessary some of the policy we talk about. So, um, you know, we now have more employees in Texas than in New York State. You know, it should have been that way, but Texas loves to be there. And when you go there, they're optimistic. They're optimistic here. Pro-American, optimistic, pro-business. No, unfortunately, no. Um, every year there's a, a sort of tech topic to jour that we talk about. Last year was the Metaverse, and I think we talked briefly about you appearing in a non-physical form in the lobby of the Metaverse. This year it's, uh, it's AI. Uh, I asked Chat GPT what I should ask Jamie Dimon. I was hoping he would come up with a really smart answer. I wouldn't need to write any of my questions. I could get it to do the whole interview for me. Uh, so, so it didn't, unfortunately. It asked, what would I ask Jamie Dimon uh, about AI and what it meant for the future of investment banking? So uh, AI is real. This is not... Not crypto? 
that's not crypto net. This is a technology which is staggering. We already lose 300 AI. We have thousands of people involved, thousands involved in data, machine learning, natural language processing. We have 200 people in AI research labs, but and we're already using it to do risk, fraud, marketing, prospecting, and it's the tip of the iceberg. So, you know, to me, this is this is extraordinary. And the other thing to keep in mind, there's good use, but bad guys are going to use it too. So it's a little bit of a, a arms race and how you have to use it to protect your company, protect your clients, protect data, et cetera. And we're fully engaged. And the other thing you have to keep about AI, you need to be in the cloud to use the compute power fundamentally that you need for AI. And so that's why the cloud, digital AI, they're all kind of related that way. What was behind the decision to, to ban GPT on the, on the trading floor? On company-owned devices, that's way you could do it in your own device. But we also allow people to use it within our own uh, firewalls. So we didn't take it away. It just you have to go within our firewall to use it. And, and it was just for control purposes and risk purposes. There's no wasn't a statement of any time. Before we end up, I, I want to get onto leverage finance. Obviously, that's in large part why we're here to talk about the conference. One of the things JP Morgan's doing at the moment that's very interesting is lending from its own balance sheet, direct lending, if you like. At, at the moment, I think it's ten billion dollars is what's been allocated. How big can that business get? So, you know, I mean, it's amazing. And this is, when you look at something like this, for your viewers, American capitalism, there are 2,000 investors here from around the world. Hundreds of companies still inventing ideas and growing and expanding both in the U.S. and, and overseas. It is it is extraordinary. So direct lending, you're obviously one of the biggest lenders out there, but a lot of people here are also huge lenders. So, you know, I meet with them all, and, and you know, direct lending away from banks has become equally in size. They like some, to think of themselves as competitors. They're, they're, and they are. You know, that's a lot. But we deal with competitors and collaborators all the time. So we do direct lending. And all it is fundamentally for your viewers, you know, Unitronch, quicker, more flexibility in certain types of covenants. Not necessarily cheaper for the borrower, by the way. So you got to look at it, all things. So we've done, I think, 10 billion, 40 deals. We can do a lot more. And, you know, we can work with partners on some of these deals, et cetera. But we'll do what we need to do to compete. It feels somewhat passe to ask you about succession. You get asked about it all the time. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but, I, but I am interested. You talk a lot about the need for sort of unified responses to global conflict. You talk a lot about things that are needed domestically, whether it's better health, better education, uh, raising wage inequality, uh, or reducing, I should say, wage inequality. It, it seems very obvious that you could go into public office if you chose to uh, when you leave JP Morgan. Is that something we can expect? I'm not going to go into public service. I love what I do here. You, know, you mentioned succession. But you I might was, enjoy it. I, I, I think you should practice it a little bit before you go into it. And I, I mean, I, I feel what I do here is a huge contribution to, to my country, uh, my clients around the world, et cetera. So, uh, and the other thing about succession, you got, you guys already know who that we have a lot of potential successors. So you, you can add, write about it frequently. Exactly. So you know, I, I couldn't add to that. You already know. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. 
Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Plus.